0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. You ready to get into the word this morning? All right, let's get into it. I want to speak a message, and it'll be a two-part series. I will start this week, and I will end next week. I want to speak a message that I've entitled, Hope in the Midst of Chaos. Hope in the Midst of Chaos. Father, we give this word to you this morning, Lord. Hey God, I pray that your spirit would anoint it, and not only would you anoint it, but you would bear witness to the truth. Your word testifies that it is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that makes us free. Hey, God, we pray today that the truth would come out loud and clear through the reading of your scriptures through the conversation of going over your word, through the prayer times together, and it would bring freedom into this house, and it would bring hope to every heart. God, we commit it to you now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You know, I had a few conversations over Memorial Day weekend as I was eating burgers and kind of hanging out in friends' backyards. And every single discussion seemed to go exactly the same way. It would start with small talk and everyone just asked, how you been and what are you gonna do with the kids this summer? And suddenly we would be talking about, can you really believe where our nation is at right now? So many grandparents and parents are just so concerned and even overwhelmed with what their kids are now facing in the educational system. And there's this realization that's starting to dawn on everybody that all these ungodly agendas like sexuality, and confusion, and violence, and addiction, all these ungodly agendas used to be just in different pockets throughout our country. used to be in different cities or even college campuses, and unless you were attending one of the college campuses or you were living in one of these cities, you didn't really have to deal with those types of spiritual principalities. But now we're starting to realize that they're not staying in their locations anymore, but they're flooding over into every neighborhood and every family and every sphere of society. And as I was having the conversation, I had to ask everybody the same question because sometimes I feel like I'm the one taking the crazy pills, right? I was supposed to be the pastor. I was supposed to be steady, but I feel like, am I the only nuts one? And I just asked everyone, I said, it wasn't like this before COVID, right? Like it was ungodly. We dealt with ungodliness. It was everywhere, the sexualization and everything, but, but something broke loose in COVID. We hunkered down for like a year, and when we came out, something shifted. Something's actually changed, right? Because I can't even go on to my bank account on Chase without some type of message that's sexualized. I don't know about you. I can't. YouTube commercials. You're watching something, I like watching old skateboard flicks and things. I watch a YouTube commercial and I said, Was that just what I saw? Because that was a sex toy. Like, what, what was that? And, and the programming on Netflix and everything. And I'm thinking in my mind, it, it wasn't like that before the violence we're dealing with, the addiction that we're dealing with. And as I ask the question, everyone kind of looks at me just very honestly, and they'll just nod their heads and say, no, something has changed. Something has changed. And the question then becomes, what in the world has happened? How in the world did we go from sanity to insanity in such a short amount of time? Because it kind of feels like whatever was holding back this flood, like there was something that was keeping it at bay, was removed overnight, and now the flood of filth and just uh, of oppression is everywhere. You, you can't get out of it. doesn't matter where you move to. doesn't matter where you go. Everywhere we look, we're kind of dealing with it. And it's just pure craziness. And you know the, the worst part about it is nobody knows how to stop it. I've been sitting with a few unbelievers, some friends of mine who were just so close to finally receiving the gospel. They were so close and we just, we're having so many conversations together and I'll sit down with them and they'll say it to me. Said, listen, I don't, I'm not ready to believe the Bible like you believe it. And I don't have the moral compass that you have, but even I recognize that we have crossed the line in our culture. I even know that what we're doing is serious and it's going to have huge repercussions as we continue down this course. And they keep saying to me, but we don't know what else to do because it's like a runaway train that doesn't have any brakes. And what I want to try to do this morning is I want to read to you just a passage of scripture that I believe starts to answer the question of what we're actually dealing with as a nation and around the world. I want to leave just read one scripture to you, and I'm gonna do my best not even to commentate on it. I, I just want the scriptures to be able to speak for themselves. But before I read it, I'm just gonna put a sermon outline up onto the screen because this is where I'm gonna be going this week and next week as we get into this together as a congregation. You ready? This is what we're going to talk about. Number one, I want to talk about what's going on with our nation. Number two, we're going to talk about God always has a redemptive plan amid chaos. God's always doing something redemptive. Number three, in the last days, God is preparing hearts for an outpouring of his spirit. And then number four, you ready? What we need to do as the church and what is our role and responsibilities. Okay, you ready for that? So let's read the scripture. I want to go to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18 and I'm going to go all the way down to 32. We're going to read together and I want you to hear because this is the answer of what's going on with our nation and around the world. Let's read it. Verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now circle mortal man, because although we don't live in this type of society today where we literally worship idols that look like birds or animals or anything, we still worship man. Man. We believe man has all the answers. We believe our intellect can get us out of all our problems. We believe we are God. We know our best course for our lives. So there's still a worship of mortal man going on in our society today. Verse 24. Therefore. You ready? This is important. That therefore is a big therefore. Because it's saying because of all of this. This is now what is going to happen. Listen to what it says. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the dual penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. Look at this. Murder. We live in a season now where there's such a spirit of murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents. So much so that a young man could take a gun and shoot his grandmother in the face and walk out of his house. They are foolish, they are faithless, they are heartless, they are ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but get this, but they give approval to those who practice them. They champion it. They say this is beautiful. This is the way that we're supposed to live. This is the best thing for everybody. See, Romans begins by making a statement that the wrath of God is revealed. Or or you could say it like this. Romans says the wrath of God looks like this. And it begins to describe what the wrath of God looks like. It says, God's wrath is being poured out when God gives people over to a debased mind, to unholy passions, to the lust of their own hearts, to do things that ought not to be done. He says there's a giving over. God gives them over to selfishness. He gives them over to the greed for power where they're willing to do anything and they're not willing to even restrain themselves by the law of the land. He gives them over to lawlessness where their own grandparents and parents can't hold them back anymore, right? Disobedience to parents. He gives them over, get this, to ruthlessness. My goodness, are we not dealing with ruthlessness in our culture today? I had a friend who went to go speak over at Times Square Church in New York City months back He said, Michael, I got done fellowshipping and talking and doing what I was doing. He says, I crossed the street on 51st and Broadway, right in Times Square, right in the tourist area where everybody's at. And as I crossed the street, there was a man there selling all these fake pocketbooks. And he's sitting there with the pocketbooks with his blanket, and he's on the street. And as he's selling, a man pulls up in a car. He stops right at the curb, jumps out of the car, pulls a knife right in front of me, stabs the man in the eye, grabs one of the pocketbooks and takes off. And this is what he said. I just sat there as the man's blood, even though he held his eye, was squirting all over my shirt, all over my jeans, and down to my shoes. He says, Michael, you have no idea how bad it's getting. Listen to me, that's ruthlessness. That's going beyond what we're normal. What's normal, I know there'll be crime, but it's becoming a point where you can walk in to an elementary school and you can kill 20 something kids like that. It's ruthless. And the Bible says this is God giving them over. Now, here's the question, and this is so important. What does it mean when God says, I gave them over, that the scripture says God gave them over to a debased mind, to unholy passions, to the lust of their own hearts? Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably one of the most incredible commentators in all of the book of Romans, he wrote this, and I want to just read it to you because it's so profound. And you tell me if this is not what we're dealing with in our society. This is what he says. In other words, what we have here is an account of God's judicial abandonment of man in sin. And you notice that he even abandoned them in their minds, which is the most terrifying and terrible thing of all. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, in their great brains that they were so proud of, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a rejected mind, a foolish mind, a mind that is fooling itself constantly and going round and round in circles and which has really lost its power of apprehending truth. God has abandoned them to that so that the tragedy of man in the world is not only that he's debased in his conduct, he is debased in his mind. He cannot think straight. That is why he tries to justify all these vile things and tries to explain them in terms of biology or psychology and so on and so on. And to say, you know, this is not sin. This is really something medical and perhaps not even that. Perhaps after all, it's really the height of beauty reprobate mind and when a man's mind has become reprobate there's no hope for him there's nothing to appeal to let me put a slide up on the screen and you tell me if our society has not been given over to a reprobate mind they can't think straight this is the new apple emoji that you're all going to get on your new iPhones of a pregnant man a pregnant man you tell me if people can't think straight. Th- this is where our society is at. That we think men can actually get pregnant, and listen, there's no argument that you could give to people that you could even change their mind. You can't even say, show me one man that's ever carried a baby. Oh, I mean, it doesn't matter. I identify as a man, I identify as a woman, I identify, I identify, I do whatever I want. Okay, fine. Do you identify as a cat? No, I would never do something so stupid. Like, what? Did you just hear those two opposing arguments? That's crazy talk. That's nuts. That's lunacy. And you can't even reason. You just have to sit there and say, okay. A repubate mind, inability to think straight. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that that was God's judgment on society. He gave them over to that. He goes on, Martin Lowe joins, says, God withdraws his restraining grace and all the foulness and the vileness that is in man as a result of sin is given free scope. It is let loose. Does it feel like something's been let loose since COVID? Let loose. And the world becomes a kind of living hell. What we're seeing in our nation right now, and I want you to get this, is Romans chapter 1. God is removing his restraining grace and he is lifting his hand over our society and culture and especially over Western civilization as a whole. Western civilization that said there is no God. Western civilization said that we could figure this out with our own education, our own science, our own ideas. Western civilization that looked at all of us and said that everything in this world that we see, it came from nothing plus time. Western civilization that did all that, that made those statements, that made that declaration, it's being given over by God to a debased mind to unholy passions, and to the lust of their own hearts. Now, looking at some of you, I can feel it through your stares. Pastor Michael, thank you for clarifying that, but that's kind of heavy. Right? How did we go from the American gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity to our society falling apart in such a short amount of time, right? Everyone's asking that, but here's the reality. It wasn't such a short amount of time. God has been knocking on the door of his church for decades. He has been warning of this day that was coming. I believe even 9-11 was part of this. God was trying to get our attention. He was saying, you're going down a course and you don't understand where it's going to lead. You're going down a course and I'm trying to explain to you what's actually going to happen to the generation and the kids ahead. He allowed things to happen. He allowed things to try to shake us up because we were so ignorant and we weren't willing to pay attention. And even though he would allow certain things to happen and it would touch the church or it would touch people in society, we'd run in after things like 9-11 or 2008 when the crash happened or whatever it was, we'd run into the churches. But the problem was the pastors, the ministers, the church themselves weren't praying, they weren't seeking God. So nobody had an answer for what was happening. Everyone was saying, oh, this is just Satan. This is just the enemy. We just got to push through. This is spiritual. And there was something so much deeper that God was trying to get at. And just as everybody came into the church, they left the church just as quickly. It didn't come suddenly, it was a progression. And I don't have time to get into it this morning because although me being the type of guy that I am and I'm always the, the half half empty type of guy, glass half empty, I don't want to go there today because what I want to give to you is I want to give you a message of hope in the midst of the chaos. I want to show you something that Romans chapter one is not the only thing that God is up to in our society right now. It's part of it, but there's a larger whole, and we got to get to the 30,000 foot view and be able to see what God is doing and look past into the history and see what he's done through other societies, other cultures, other nations, to grasp what he's doing even now. Let me me try to explain. Let me show you something. Remember a few weeks ago... I brought up Romans chapter 15, four, and I said, Romans fifteen four actually says that all these things in the Bible were written for time for our learning. In other words, the scriptures themselves are testifying that the stories that are in the Bible, God not only allowed them, but even orchestrated them to be able to teach us about ourselves, to be able to teach us about God, to be able to teach us of how God works in our lives, to be able to teach us of how God even works in our nations. See, it's God's heart, it's his desire to to reveal to us how he works with nations, our own personal walks, and then how he does it through a society of people right? And he does it, I want you to get this, through showing us patterns, through his divine and through his gracious elect relationship with his own people, the Israelites. He shows us that when people turn to him, when people come back, when they repent, what he begins to do throughout whole cultures, and he was doing that in such a way, not just so that the Israelites could be blessed, but get this, so that people would see the blessing that is on them, and they would turn to God, and he'd be able to bless other people as well. It was always as hard to raise up this. Nation as a light, as a lampstand to the other nations. And the Bible actually shows us from story after story, and I want you to grasp this, that every time God brought judgment on the Israelites because of their disobedience, He always had a redemptive plan, He always had a redemptive purpose that was working through the judgment. For example, listen to me. When you go back in the Old Testament and you pay attention and you read when, when Israel became a nation and they came out of Egypt and the slavery and they come into their own land and they begin to disobey and they begin to turn away from God and God hands them over to the foolishness of their own minds, to their own debased minds, and they continue doing the things that they're doing, the Bible says, and you could read it, you could study it, that God brought five separate judgments on the nation of Israel, five separate captivities. In fact, let me put them on the screen so you could see them. Ready? There was the Assyrian captivity. There was the Babylon captivity, which you read about in the book of Daniel or Esther. There was the Medes and the Persians and their captivity. There was Greece that rose up and conquered the nation of Israel and the other nations. And then there was Rome who stepped up on the scene before Jesus actually showed up. There was five different judgments, five captivities that were unleashed on the nation of Israel. In 722 BC, watch this, Assyria comes down, fights against the northern kingdom, wins a victory and takes all the people captive back to their own land. That's the first one. Okay, in 586 BC, Babylon rises to power. They come down to the southern half of the Israel kingdom, Judah. They fight against the capital city of Jerusalem. They knock down the walls. They burn down the temple. They take the people captive back to their own land. That's the second captivity. Then the Medes and the Persians rise up to power. They take out Babylon and they become the world empire and they begin to move the people of Israel and shift them around into the different providences that they were ruling over at the time. So watch this. You had Assyria, you had Babylon, You had the Medes and the Persians that came down and took the people of God captive back to their own land. And what did the people of God begin to do in the midst of that judgment? Are you ready? They began to build houses of worship. They built synagogues because they didn't have the temple to worship at anymore. They start building these houses and they start gathering together where they start reading through the Torah. And they start studying over the scriptures and they start keeping the Sabbath and they keep the festival so that they keep their heritage as a people. So now you have synagogues that are spread out everywhere. But then Greece rises to power. And Alexander the Great, before he's 30 years old, conquers the whole known world. And when he conquers the whole known world, he makes the decision that he's going to Hellenize everybody. Which means everybody has to learn the Greek culture and they have to learn the Greek language. But then Rome steps up on the scene, and they become the next occupying force all over Israel, Palestine, and the rest of the world. And what does Rome decide to do? Rome makes the decision that we're not going to Hellenize. It's not going to be a common language that we're going to do. We're going to keep the Greek language. We're going to keep that going. But what we're going to do is we're going to build a road system through all of our providences so we can move our military and our trade. So they build a road system. That's why the saying goes, all roads lead to Right. So, so watch this, because this is, this is crazy. When you get the 30,000 foot view, and you start reading through the Bible, through the Old Testament, and you see God's redemptive purposes in the midst of judgment, it will blow your mind away. Because watch, between Assyria, Babylon, and the Medes and the Persians, God takes his people, spreads them out, and they begin to build houses of worship. Okay, then Alexander the Great comes, he unifies the language. Then Rome comes, and he puts in a road system. Okay, so when Jesus steps up on the scene, because the Bible says that he came in the fulfillment of time, which means there was things that God was getting prepared before he would come, he dies, resurrects, the church is the spirit of God pours out. You ready? Now there are houses of worship Everywhere where people are already gathering and studying through scripture, there's a common language, there's a road system for the gospel to be able to go to the ends of the earth. Five judgments, five captivities, and in each one, God was working a redemptive purpose that was about to come to pass. The judgment wasn't the end. The judgment was leading to something. And listen to me, God is doing the exact same thing today. How do I know that? Because Romans 15, 4 tells me. If you go back and you study, you understand the heart of God, you can predict where he's headed and where he's going now because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. And God is preparing a redemptive purpose even through the judgment of giving us over to these debased minds. But his purpose today is not the promise of the coming Messiah. See, we already got Jesus. He already came up on the scene. We got the message of the gospel, at least in our country. He needs to go to the ends of the earth, which is amazing. But we already got, that's been given to us. No, our promise and what God's trying to work through the judgment we're experiencing today is a Joel chapter two outpouring in the last days of his spirit. In fact, let me read Joel chapter two to you so you get this. Watch this. Joel chapter two says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now this is a dual prophecy. This speaks of the day of Pentecost, but it speaks of a day to come. The last days that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 25. God is preparing this generation, listen to me, through judgment for a Joel chapter two outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's preparing. See, God is giving them over to the debased mind. He's giving, why? Because he says you need to taste of the consequences of your sin. You need to taste of what it is to try to be your own God. You need to taste what this is because your heart is so filled with pride, I can't break through. I could pour out my spirit, but it's so unreceptive. So I have to prepare the soil. I have to till it. I have to move back the rocks. I have to push back the thorn bushes. I have to get the enemy out of the field. And the way that I'm gonna begin to do it is through judgment. I'm gonna give you over to that debased mind, and you're gonna taste of it. You're gonna taste of where it leads, and it's gonna begin to form a humility. I see it already in people that I talk with that aren't saved. I see they're coming and saying, this can't be, we're going somewhere, and I don't wanna go there. And they're starting to realize, wait a second, Maybe I had a part in this. See, God is trying to open up eyes. God is trying to prepare hearts so that when his spirit comes and he wants a sweeping, and it isn't going to be just a thousand. It's not going to be just a hundred. It's going to be in the millions. There's going to be a last day revival across the Western world and the rest of the world where God is going to sweep in souls like you cannot believe. He's going to bring them in from every walk of life. but he needs to prepare. The judgment is bringing it about. The judgment is part of the Joel chapter two outpouring. Now let me just say this, because I want to clarify something, and I want to be careful, because I'm sure I stepped on a few toes at the nine o'clock. I don't want to step on too many toes. I want to keep my toe number of stepping down. In my heart, I do not believe that this outpouring is gonna result with our leaders truly repenting in America or around the world and them surrendering their hearts and their nations back to God. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think they're gonna continue on the course that they've already projected. They want a one world government. They want a system. The Bible says it, we're headed there. And even if we get a reprieve, maybe we don't deal with it in this generation, it's still coming. You can't get out of it. If the Bible said it, guess what, we're in trouble. Because this, this doesn't change, that changes to this. And he says it is gonna to go to a worldwide system. There is gonna be an antichrist that one day is gonna to rise to power. And it is gonna take place. So in my heart, I don't believe that we're gonna see our leaders suddenly just change course and fall on their faces and say, well, we need to come back to this. Doesn't mean I don't pray that way. Doesn't mean I don't see God that way. I want that, I desire that. But what you will see is people in all spheres of life begin to wake up. What you will see is they're gonna say, wait a second, what course are we heading on? And they're even going to say it themselves. How in the world can we keep heading this way when most of us aren't even in agreement with it? Right? How, how are we even going this direction? You're going to see people begin to come to their senses through what they're going to begin to experience. Joel chapter 2 says, the outpouring of His Spirit is going to be so powerful in these coming days. He says, your sons and your daughters are literally going to prophesy. Our kids which we are so afraid for, our kids, which we think are going to die in the streets through what they're actually having to face. The Bible says, I'm going to do such a work and there's going to come such an outpouring over their lives that they're going to prophesy. And when the Bible says prophesy, I want you to get this. Yes, they'll speak things in the spirit. Awesome. But it's deeper than that. God's saying, no, 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 their speech is going to begin aligning with my word. Their lives are going to begin to align with my word. They're going to start saying, I want my, my life to look like this. And they're going to come back and they're going to live and they're going to sleep and they're going to get up in the power, in the presence of God. But then Joel even goes further. He says, not only that, but your older men, they're going to dream dreams. He says, those generations that came before, they're not gonna be sitting in church pews. They're not gonna be sitting in church seats just reminiscing about the good old days. Do you remember the Jesus movement? Do you remember when the vineyard started? Do you remember Billy Graham crusades? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember back to the Reagan years? Do you remember all this type of stuff? No, no, no. God says, I'm gonna move my spirit so powerfully in these days that they're gonna receive a new vision for the future. They're going to see things in their prayer times for their kids and for their grandkids. And it's going to become so real to them because I'm going to unleash such a faith in their heart that it's going to be more real to them than the physical world around them. And even though they don't see it manifesting just yet, they're going to get up and they're going to begin to pray with unction. They're going to get up and they're going to declare with unction. They're going to begin to speak with unction because I'm going to make it alive in their heart. They're going to get a vision for the future. They're not gonna sit here and just say, I'm gonna ride it out. They're gonna see where I'm headed. But then it even goes further. Joel chapter two says, it doesn't stop there. Then your men and your female servants, oh my gosh, my spirit's gonna fall out on them. You know what Joel's saying? Every sphere of life, every sphere of society is gonna get touched. It's not just for the rich or the poor, the educated or the uneducated, everybody. You're going to see people coming and saying, I need this. I I want this. And you're going to see it with with those that own businesses, to those that are on the Amazon floor, to those that are a UPS driver. It's going to hit every sphere of life. Black, white, cities, rural areas. He says, I'm going to sweep through and I'm going to touch and I'm going to open up eyes all over the place. It's going to be a come as you are, whoever will type of moment. Anybody that will receive it. It's yours. Just take it. See, God's saying, this is what I'm producing in America through my judgments. This is what I'm producing through Romans chapter 1. Go back into the Old Testament. See how I dealt with Israel. See how I dealt with my own nation. Every time there was a judgment, I was setting it up for a redemptive purpose. There was something. Look at the Prophets. How many times will the prophets come in doom and gloom and then God say, okay, it's time to shift your message. Yes, doom and gloom. Yes, judgment is here. But now I want you to begin to prophesy the days to come. Now I want you to begin to prophesy of the redemption that I'm bringing about on the earth. Jeremiah was commanded that. Ezekiel was commanded that. Every single one of them. Isaiah was commanded that. But here's the last question, and with this I want to close. If that's true, Pastor Michael, then what's my role? How do I prepare? What should I be doing? What what should the church be doing? Should we head out to Shields and pick up a bunch of AR-15s together? I heard a yes somewhere. And I gotta be honest, in my, in my own self, I'm saying yes. <laughs> I'm saying a revolution might sound really cool right now. You know, I was having a conversation with the staff this last week. We were talking about, you think you'd ever get to like Red Dawn, like we're up in the mountains and we're fighting off Russians and Chinese and all this. And we're going through all this and I was like, I, was like, I don't know, but it sounds kind of cool. In my head, in my head, I said, I don't think I could kill anything. I, I don't even think I could kill an animal. I've never eaten a deer before. Like I don't even know how that works. But it sounds cool. Should we get some AR-15s? Uh, sounds cool. I don't know if that's what the Bible says, but should we pick up some toilet paper? <laughs> right? We know what it was, not the wipe. You know, and, and, and it was funny. I, I would pray, God, take the food, but not the toilet paper. Just let, just stock the toilet paper, please. It was so funny, but still, I, I, think, that, I think that's wise. I think with God giving man over to a debased mind and them not thinking logically, there might be some supply chain issues. might be wise to have some toilet paper. Hopefully, I don't start the rush that actually <laughs> destroys the world with toilet paper. <laughs> Would it be wise to get some extra food? Should I go buy a farm? Should I get some horses? Maybe, maybe get a uh, windmill powering something or, or get, yeah, maybe, maybe that's wise. I don't know. Sounds cool. But those things in and of themselves is not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you really want to prepare for what God is doing, there's two words. You ready? Here they come. Love him. Love him. Let me show you. John chapter 25, verse 15 through 19 says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Jesus connects two thoughts in this conversation with Peter, and I want you to get this. He asks him the question, do you love me? And then he says, Peter, when you are old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and somebody else is gonna clothe you and they're gonna carry you to a place you're not gonna wanna go. In other words, Jesus was saying to him, Peter, there's a day coming that I'm gonna lead you into something and I'm gonna lead you through something that's not going to be easy and you're not going to want to be there. And this is what he says. To be honest, you're not even prepared for it yet, Peter. You're not ready but you will be ready when you're able to answer this fundamental question of, do you love me? Do you? And the fact that Jesus asked it three times is Jesus saying, not only am I asking Peter, do you love me? I'm asking you if your love for me is increasing and if it's growing. I'm asking you after you've seen my grace and me come back and restore you after your denial, do you love me more than even before? Are you falling in love with me, Peter? Is your heart coming alive in love with me, Peter? See, listen to me, church, because this is where I'm going to connect it all. We are going into a season, and we're already there. I'm a little bit behind on the message. Probably should have preached this many years ago, but listen to me. We're going into a season of serious confusion for everybody. When God gives a society and the world over to a debased mind, and they cannot think logically anymore, they have no ability to think right, that means nothing is predictable anymore where you used to be able to plan for yourself and your family, and you say, well, if the stock market does this, or uh, if if this conglomerate or this business does this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do it. They're not thinking logically. They're not thinking the way you think they would think. So suddenly there's all these swings and saying, what are they doing? Like, that's craziness. Why would they do that? Doesn't that, don't they realize that harms them? You start thinking, you don't understand they're being given over to a debased mind, which means there's no stability anymore. And not only is there no stability, but because there's so much uncertainty, it gives way to vain imaginations, where people on the news and everywhere else try to predict what's going to happen, only to find out that their predictions never came true. And not only in the news, but you ready for this? It's going to be all over the church. There's going to be people getting up and prophesying and saying, I have a prophetic word and I have this. This is what God is doing. This is where God is headed. This is what's going to happen. And the reason they're filling in all these prophecies is because there's an uncertainty and there's vain imaginations. They're trying to make sense of the mess. And if you're not careful, you'll fall under the warning that Jesus warned all the way in verse chapter 25 of Matthew, when he said that there's going to be many false prophets in the last days that are going to begin to appear and say, Jesus is over here and Jesus is over here. And he's not saying that it's just a physical manifestation of his coming. He's saying, they're saying that the mind of Christ, the heart of God is right here. This is what you're supposed to do. And then this is what you're supposed to do. And then this is what you're supposed to do. I hear it in the church even today. We think we could fight against these principalities with the same weapons of the world. We think if we get somebody elected, and listen to me, I believe in a constitutional republic. I believe we have responsibilities to God to vote according to his word and policies that align with his word. I believe that the church is light and salt to the earth. But if you think of vote, that that weapon is somehow going to change the principalities we're dealing with, it won't. We don't fight like that. I'm not saying don't vote, but then we come back and we're praying. We're coming back and we're yielding to the spirit of God. We're humbling ourselves in submission to the will of God. That's where the power of God is unleashed. That's where God pushes things back. That's where God makes ways, even in the judgment. And I've seen people come up to me and say, No, no, you got to understand, Pastor Michael, they stole this election. So all we have to do is we've got to fight back and make sure they don't steal the next one. And I say, Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll track with you a little bit. And I'll even agree. I think there was plenty of fraud that happened in an election. I, I, I agree with you. I'm there. But you know what the book of Daniel actually says? Because this will blow you out of the water here. You know what the book of Daniel says? It said God appoints leaders for nations as he sees fit. So listen to me. Whether it was stolen or not, that was God's choice. God put them there. God put this administration there. I'm not saying, I want to be clear because I'm trying to find a balance here so people don't take my words and go, Pastor Michael says we're not supposed to be doing this or we shouldn't be uh, uh, voting. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying, if you think that voting box alone, just like the Israelites, them going out on their horses with their blades and their swords, we're gonna give them victory over that promised land, you are sadly mistaken. You are sadly mistaken. That's not what's gonna do anything. And we're so caught up and we're listening to voices that I think we need to be more careful about. We need to pay attention. You know what bothered me about this last election? I'll, I'll just be straight. Is that again, everybody got up and said, we gotta stop steals, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. Nobody once said, God, why did you elect that person? Why would you allow, why would you allow this administration to govern us? Why did that happen? Because you put him in that power, you put him in that place. And it never brought any humility to the church to say, maybe there's some things in my life or what we're doing as a body that's contributed to that. Not one word of just sober judgment, not one word of questioning anything, just let's punch back harder than last time. And we think if we can punch back harder than last time, we're gonna break through. And I'm gonna warn you, you fight with the same weapons they're fighting with, they're gonna come back 10 times stronger the next time around. You can't win that way. That's what Jesus was trying to show everybody. Just overrun the Roman Empire. He says, no, no, no. My way is I have to submit to the will of God and I have to go to a cross. My way is I have to humble myself. See, I am. I am going to rule in victory over this world one day. That's what he was saying. But my path is a place of submission to the will of God. That's the spiritual weapon that I use to bring about God's work. See, if the church really wants to prepare for what God is doing, you need to love Him. All of us need clear direction from God right now. All of us. And you know what the issue with the church and and all of us is? I'll, I'll talk for myself is when we want direction, we just always want steps. God, just tell me the next couple steps, and I'll do it. Tell me the next step. Tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll do it. And you have to understand, our God works through intimacy and relationship, not through steps. See, when your love for God is increasing, and it's growing, and it's becoming stronger, it becomes like a gravitational pull towards him that just automatically directs your life when you're falling in love with Jesus and you're allowing his love to transform you, right? And the sole desire of everything inside of you is to love him. Listen to me. What to do just becomes clear. You just know what to do. It just hits you like, this is what I should do. This is what I should do with my family. This is what God is actually calling me. See, love, I want you to get this. And that's what he's trying to say to Peter. Love has a power in and of itself to bring clarity, to bring definition, to bring, defini- to bring direction. When you love me, Peter, when you love me, you're gonna find everything you need to walk this all the way out to the end. And God is asking the question today in the midst of the judgment and the chaos that's going on. He's saying, I got a plan. I know where I'm headed, but do you love me? Do you love me? What is hindering your love? What is holding it back? He's saying you need direction from me, you need clarity from me. It's not gonna be easy. You gotta know how to walk through this, you gotta know what I'm calling you to, but you'll never know it until your heart is in love with me. Pastor Michael can't give it to you. A prophet can't give it to you. No ministry can't give it to you. You gotta get it directly from God. He's the only one. That could give it, and you could only hear it if you love them. I deal with this in marriage counseling all the time. People come into my office. We go through everything for like three hours. And then they look at me and say, okay, what are the next steps? What do we need to do? What is the book you want us to read? And what's amazing to me is they've already read like 50 books. I was like, oh. So so this is what I tell them. And then everybody looks at me cross-eyed. Just be straight. Ready? This is what I tell them. Three days a week, you take 20 minutes to pray together. And then three other days a week, you take 30 minutes to just go spend time with God. You yourself get into his word. You start reading. You start seeking his face. You start dealing with the issues of your own heart. You allow this word and the Holy Spirit to bring things out that are hindering your love for him and your love for each other. You get here and you spend time with him. And when I say it, everybody looks at me and says, well, that's, that doesn't help. And I'm looking and I'm saying, no, that's the only thing that is going to help. See, when you fall in love with God, suddenly you're in a fight with your spouse or you're dealing with an issue and and your voice begins raising like mine is right now. And you're getting all excited and and suddenly the Holy Spirit just begins to put his hand on your chest and says, no, 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 no. You're losing it right now. Hold it back. This is going to have consequences. But because you have fallen in love with him, because you've been seeking his face, suddenly you say, I want to listen to that little voice and respond to it. And you start with self-control, pulling yourself back. And now, listen to me, now you know exactly what you need to do in the moment when it's happening. Do you see how it works? It's moment by moment, day by day, step by step. You want to know what we need to do, church? We need to fall in love with God. Gosh, I preached 45 minutes. What is wrong with me? So here's the question. What is it that's hindering your love for God? What's holding it back? What are you more in love with than Him? Or what are you believing about yourself, what the enemy is telling you, that's holding you back for your love for Him? Is there a battle of shame you've dealt with in your life that you've never gotten the victory of? And God says, Now's the time. Now's the time to get victory over it because your heart needs to fall in love with me. Is it an idol? Is it a career that you're holding on to? And you're holding on so tight, and you don't even know if it's going to be there in the next year or two, and it's holding you back from truly yielding your all to God. What is it that's in? And then here's the reality. When we ask that question, that's a difficult question to ask in a church. You want to know why? Because when you ask that question, there are so many people that say, Pastor Michael, I've heard that message before, my first love, and I've come down to altars and I've made promises to God. I'd love him more. I'd serve him more. I'd seek him more. And I would leave that altar and in two weeks I'd be back just where I was at before. And you know what happens? Because that happens so many times. I want you to get this. People hear that question and they allow it to go in one ear and out the other because they don't want to deal with the shame of feeling like they haven't been able to do it. They don't. I I can't. I'm so discouraged. I can't listen to that. But what if the Holy Spirit was here today? Which he is. And he's saying, I'm not asking for your promises. You've already failed me a million times and you will a million more. I'm not asking for that. What I'm doing is I'm putting anointing on my own word, not on Pastor Michael's word, on my own word. And I'm going to bring an anointing and a power for those that are just willing to confess. If you'll just humbly submit it to me, whatever area it is, a shame, an idol, whatever it is that's holding back your love for me, you'll just admit it to me. I'll bring a power and I'll begin to breathe on you with an anointing that would start breaking that thing up inside of your heart. He says, I'll come with the power of the cross and I'll begin to crucify it inside of you. And I'll stir a renewed love for God in you for his name and for his glory. What if the Holy Spirit is not asking for promises today? All that the Holy Spirit is asking for is confession. He says, if I could just get that much faith, if I could just get a little bit of confession, that's all I need to turn this whole thing around. That's all I need to set your heart aflame. Stay with me, Springs Church. This is my altar call this morning, and this is what I wanna pray for. Pastor Michael, I need a fresh love for God. I need this shame broken, or I need this thing that I, I have that's holding me back just shattered, and I just need a fresh touch. I need a love for God. I agree with everything the scripture's speaking. I believe we are in divine judgment. I believe God's giving society over to a reprobate mind. And I need direction now. I need to love him in ways like I've never loved him. But something has died in me. I need a touch of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you this morning, would you just come forward? Come forward. Can I just pray for you? Can I just lift you up? Maybe there's some in this room and your parents come to church or other people come to church, but you've never had a touch of God. Your heart has never come alive to him. Would you come forward? Can we ask for the Holy Spirit to bring a touch over your life in the weeks ahead? And then the months ahead, this year ahead, where God would begin to bring you alive, he'd bring your heart alive to him, alive to him. Come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website springs church